0: Welcome to Postscript. We just got almost done talking about the Odyssey. We are just going to finish up by talking about Odysseus reuniting with Penelope, and in particular, books 19 and 23, where they have their personal interactions with each other. So it's in book 19 that he first sits down with Penelope. I think this is page 428 in Emily Wilson's translation. So let me just go there. I think Penelope asks him about who he is. And he says, don't ask me about my family or native land. You have the right to question me, but do not ask about my family or native land. The memory will fill my heart with pain. I am a man of sorrow. I think there that's where the I'm a man of constant sorrow idea comes from. And then it's in what movie?
1: <laughs> oh, Brother, Where are they? Yeah.
0: It's just I guess yeah. a retelling in a way, and then the other aspect of this, which I thought was was interesting, well, we get more testing because you know Odysseus as beggar tells of seeing real Odysseus. There's a great line where the poet says his lies were like the truth, and as she listened, she began to weep. But she then tests him by asking what Odysseus looked like, and he he describes that, and she knew the signs. So she knows his story is authentic. Odysseus says he's heard that Odysseus is coming home, but he wanted, this is the part where he says he had to travel to get more wealth, (laughs) which is a, a funny way of bragging. And then Penelope says, no, I don't think he's coming back. And then finally, Penelope says, should I marry a suitor? And then comes up with this idea of, let's look at that. This is 441. This is an odd And I'll say why in a moment. So she starts out this speech by saying, stranger, I have one small question I want to ask you. I lie crying in bed and overwhelmed by pain, worries and sorrows crowd into my heart. And then a little farther, farther down, just so my mind pulls two directions. Should I stay here beside my son and keep things all the same, my property, my slave girls, and my great house to show respect towards my husband's bed and what the people say? Or should I marry one of them, whichever is, the, is best of all the suitors and can bring most presents and so on. And then she tells a dream about 20 geese and them getting killed by an eagle, which is uh, obviously a vision of Odysseus killing the suitors. And Odysseus just says, well, your dream means that, you know, it portends ruin for all the suitors. So he doesn't directly answer. And then Penelope says, well, some dreams are tricks and some are not, but Odysseus never, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see that he ever really answers the question that Penelope asks about, should I marry a suitor? I mean, he indirectly (laughs) answers it by saying they're all going to get killed. But the other aspect of that is he's not upset that she's considering marrying a suitor, which is really interesting in light of the fact that she's portrayed as constant and loyal. And she even says she's going to arrange a contest. With the suitors whoever can shoot the the arrow through the axes right will win her hand and Odysseus is like that's a great idea <laughs> because Odysseus will arrive before that's finished to kill them all and really he's thinking in his mind of course this is a good setup for the impending slaughter but he's not upset by the fact that it seems to suggest that a suitor is still is a, is a, is a real option for her oh Odysseus doesn't have to interpret the dream for her, the eagle comes back and interprets the dream from within the dream. <laughs> <laughs> the interpretation is coming from inside the dream. The geese to the suitors, I was once an eagle, but now I am your husband. Okay.
1: It's so difficult to say what Odysseus's psychology is and that's part of, maybe part of the appeal. But I think he is maybe giving her space for her ambivalence, if you will. He's wisely not saying anything because I think that this demonstrates a deep ambivalence that Penelope has about Odysseus's homecoming, which, you know, as we've already said, Odysseus himself has about his own homecoming. And just as Odysseus tests her, she tests him. And so if anything, I see this as a parallel between the two of them, but one in in which, you know, interestingly, Odysseus' own future kind of hangs, hangs in the balance, or her desire for him hangs in the balance. But I like the fact that he doesn't say anything because of course, she's right, I think, to be, <laughs> she feels however she feels about it, but to the extent that we could say that a feeling is correct, I think she's correct to feel ambivalent about giving up the attentions, however, you know, at whatever cost they've come, of a bunch of men mm-hmm. for one man who has abandoned her and has been unfaithful all over the, the known world.
0: <laughs> with mortals so, and immortals. Or right, maybe with right. A, yeah, I'm sure with both, but yeah.
1: And I also, you know, I'm also interested, and I honestly don't know what to make of this, but I'm interested in this idea of the two types of dreams as well. I'm wondering if she is saying that this one comes out of the trickery kind of dream. Yeah, maybe let's read that. Um, Yeah. She says, stranger dreams are confusing and not all come true. There are two gates of dreams. One pair is made of horn and one of ivory. The dreams from ivory are full of trickery. Their stories turn out false the ones that come through polished horn come true but my strange dream did not come out that way I think I wish it had as does my son
0: and then the axe contest so she's basically saying yeah no Odysseus isn't coming back I'm going to do the the contest to find a suitor
1: but she's also perhaps if she suspects that this guy is Odysseus which I'm also of two minds of she's giving herself an out for having the impure thought (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of you know desiring the studio, the suitors not to be killed, right wanting them to stay, not wanting her husband to return. she's giving herself an out by saying that this is maybe the the trickery dream, the dream that has no no meaning behind it, right she's saying, well, it's just a dream, right It doesn't mean anything and so it undercuts her whole the whole reason for the conversation in the first place, which is to have Odysseus interpret it because that implies that there is some meaning to be interpreted it's confusing because as you say, it also interprets itself. I'm most interested, I think, in the fact that she is providing an out for her own ambivalence. And yeah, I guess that's it. But but a secondary element is the distinction between the horn and the ivory, which I find really interesting. One comes out of the head. They're made of the same type of material, I believe, right? Because ivory would be like a tusk or teeth. And the horn would be made, I think, of fundamentally the same type of structure as, but listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, as a tusk. They can't be too different. They're both probably made of...
0: Well, they're at least similar. I mean, ivory, I think of elephant tusks and then horn maybe on a ram or something. But
1: Right. But I'm wondering if they're both made of the same type of collagen type yeah, yeah, structure, right?
0: I think they're... I mean, is it ultimately skin cells, the type of the same... Sort of, but, anyway,
1: but I think it's you know, they're similar to each other, but they come come out of different parts of the head, right?
0: Mm, okay
1: one one, the horn it's it's almost like Athena springing from the head of Zeus, right? so the the horn that comes out of the head, that one comes true. The one that comes through the mouth <laughs> is one of trickery. I don't know. i think I think there's an interesting distinction being made here, but i I don't want to put too fine a point on it. Mm. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
0: But it's yeah, it's interesting that she would simply assume the dream is is one of the false ones when it's so it's so it's such a clean, obvious obvious dream. So you know, she doesn't psychologize her her skepticism about the dream, right? She gives a kind of mythology around it. But you know, what you or I might say, well, that's just wishful thinking. Mm. But for her, it came through the the wrong gate. And then she says, she says, and then she has to go to the conclusion of the conversation is she's going to go to sleep. And she says this thing that I really like, but humans cannot stay awake forever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if you would sit and entertain me, guest, I would never wish to go to sleep, but humans cannot stay awake forever. And then talks about her bed being stained with tears. And, and then the line about the use of the word evilium for for troy but no i think all of it's interesting in light of your observation of the dreamlike quality of the repetition that odysseus has been engaged in right and the associations of dreams with wishes which in a way is one might use to explain her skepticism about the geese dream so does the dream merely express a wish or a repetition, or does it tell us something about, you know, if not the future about ourselves, at least if we can properly interpret it, right? Which is something that the ancient Greeks do. They interpret dreams and they interpret, but you know, we a few times in this poem, an eagle actually does swoop, you know, what is it? A dove <laughs> comes by with right. a, like a dove in its claws. And that's supposed to be an omen each time Odysseus killing the suitors. So
1: I like too what you're saying with calling attention to the birds reminds me we have in Odysseus's dream slash story of the, of the man from Crete, you know, it's a different Island than Ithaca, but it's a similar kind of similar setup. Right. And you know, are you an Eagle or a goose? Are you from Ithaca or from Crete? Are you, you know, Something I think we've already alluded to also is the fact that the suitors aren't necessarily doing anything that Odysseus himself wouldn't do in the same situation, right? Um, it's not like Odysseus has some kind of moral high ground. So there's, a, there's a, an interesting kind of, maybe it's this question that we talked about in the main episode of like, can you just reinsert someone for, for Odysseus? Maybe that's at the heart of Penelope's question. If I'm married to an eagle, could I just as easily be married to a goose? You know? uh-huh. Can Odysseus be replaced? Uh, can Re- Odysseus replace his own backstory as a man from Crete rather than a man from from Ithaca? You know, so there's a question of like whether or not substitution suffices that's at the heart maybe of both of these repetitions and integrations or, yeah, you know, dreamlike uh, variations.
0: Which is interesting in light of the fact that, you know, a lot of these tests involve these sort of key and lock type situations in which, or maybe that's not the right metaphor exactly, but, um one is supposed to exhibit certain signs that only the other person could know yes it happens again in the the bed scene where penelope will tell a little story about well she doesn't tell the story she will say hey um move the bed or something like that for your clay to make a bed for him and pull out the bedstead and then Odysseus gets furious. He doesn't figure out, that he's being tested. And says, woman, your words have cut my heart. Who moved my bed? And tells the whole story of creating the, the bed around the trunk as a bedpost. In fact, building the whole house around that, right? And the way it's put is that Penelope recognizes the tokens that he's provided.
1: Because this is the particularity to circumvent
0: the the unsubstitutability yeah and and the lack of substitutability involves of course all of the prior experience that one has had with the person and the ways in which each of you you know each person in the couple has been has affected each other and they've been a formative force in each other's lives and that fades in a way, you know, because they've been away from each other for so long. In and in a way, Penelope's weaving, right, which is a, which is looks a little bit like a repetition compulsion as well as a way of avoiding being subject to new formative forces which might turn her into a different person and so really might sever her from her husband in a way that physical distance just doesn't do by by itself.
1: This very unsubstitutability, as you're saying, this is this is the cornerstone of the you know the comedies of remarriage that we've talked about in other episodes. This is the real root of my interest in in those relationships, is that they seem to, you know, like Cavell makes this point in his in his book about these films, and this is something too that we've addressed in um, like at least in the Awful Truth episode, um, I think his Girl Friday as well he makes this point that the couple has to know each other like almost from childhood or, or nearly from childhood, right? They have to be this like each other's origin story that they, they make each other like Adam and Eve, right? Or, or Beatrice and Benedict in Much Ado where, where Beatrice says of Benedict, I know him of old, right? This idea that like you have, a, you have a history that predates the story in which the characters are occupying, right? So that they go way, way back, back before we knew them. This, I think, contributes to the romance of, of the whole thing. Not that one needs to know one's partner from, from childhood or something like that, but it builds the two characters into each other in this way that you're talking about. Like it, it, From a storytelling perspective, it makes them inextricably intertwined, like the bed and the house, because they try to substitute someone else in the place of the spouse. Right? This is the part of the fun uh-huh. of the comedy of remarriage, but it doesn't fit. It's not this lock and key it's about being in love just with this one particular person and that even when you stray or you do you know all this other stuff there is still nothing like that person and that particularity and even the peculiarity of being so deeply attached to one other person in particular i think is like a contributing factor to what what i see as like the deep romance with a capital r at the end of this poem that's embedded in odysseus and penelope's story and which i think makes them like the first comedy of remarriage. You mm. know, they have to like re-recommit themselves to each other. It's exactly like the structure of the Shakespeare comedies and of the the 30s and 40s films.
0: Yeah, that's great. What better way to lock someone in than to build the bed the, <laughs> the bed <laughs> and the house around the bedpost, right? And and I mean, a bedpost that is a tree trunk and can't even be taken out of the ground. So yeah, that's commitment. <laughs> <laughs> that is commitment you can't even move the bed so yeah that's you know as you pointed out that's a, that's a really great metaphor for how intertwined they are with each other and how they can't escape each other which is not true of all couples of course and we were wondering i think in one of the one of our discussions you we were wondering why penelope is is holding on mm-hmm. i think it's because he Odysseus did such a good job with the bedpost. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I like your comedy of remarriage idea. They're too implicated in each other's makeup at this point.
1: There's even the suggestion, I believe I mentioned this in the previous episode, but I'll just say it again, that Penelope, were she to remarry, were she to marry one of these suitors, there's the ritual that she has to go back to her father's house, right? So it's almost like she has to rewind the tape. You know, She has to go back to childhood and be like a child in her father's house again in order to marry one of these guys, which represents like she has to, you know, the the blackboard of her identity has to be erased and then rewritten with this new, I mean, this is just a ritual that I suppose that all Greek women at this time would have to go through. But insofar as it, (laughs) as it accords with this comedy of remarriage idea, you know, she has to like revert to a childlike state for a new man to intervene adequately in her life, but she won't, she can't, it's impossible. She's been too, her, her blackboard, her, you know, her, her bed is too entangled, is too written on. And that's what I, what I see is so, yeah, so beautiful about this and all the comedies of remarriage, I think, because we're living in this like Tinder age where, you know, you, if you don't like whoever you're with, you could just type in somebody better on your phone and just replace <laughs> them, you know? <laughs> and so, and this this idea that, no, 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 it has to be this particular person. You're so inextricably bound up with each other that you can't go with anyone else. And even when you're gone for 20 years, you have to go back to this person no matter what.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where home is. Being with this person is like being at home. It's not entirely unrelated to being part of a certain culture. Mm-hmm being part of a larger network of a you know a family, a tribe, a people, that type of thing so it's funny because you're reminding me of, me of the fact that there's Penelope talks about if she were to remarry having being taken away from home, she uses the same phrase and these are both in conversations with Odysseus one when she knows him as the beggar in book 19 and then one when she knows him as no well let's look at the first one. So this is on page 443. She says, I will be parted from here, this lovely house, my marriage home, so full of wealth and life, which I suppose I will remember even in my dreams. I thought it was really interesting that she used, used this phrase, remember even in my dreams twice. So the other time is at 462. And okay, this is when she's addressing the suitors and says, I will marry him and leave this beautiful rich house so full of life, my lovely bridal home. I think I will remember it forever, even in my dreams. Which I kind of made note of that also in relation to the fact that Penelope gives an account of a dream that she's had. So she's, she makes several references to dreams. I don't know that any character does that, right? You can, if you know of one, let me know. But I, as far as I remember... She's the only one who relates a dream or talks so much about dreams. The aspect of her attachment to Odysseus is having something to do with being so attached to, to home and to uh, yeah the idea of it being full of wealth and life. Wealth is something, of course, it gets mentioned a lot. I mean, really like material wealth and resources and cattle and all that stuff and polished wood. Um, That's part of it.
1: Yeah, and the dream maybe is, you know, this, this internal referencing the dream in the text, as you're saying, almost implies like an interiority that no other character has. There's a depth there that it's like her inner room, which is not dissimilar to the bedroom. You know, she keeps retreating up there all the time and she's always crying on her bed and stuff like that. But then having these dreams, having this like activity going on, inside of her at this level if she is in fact the only one to to have and relate these dreams gives her yeah, I'm that, just that kind I'm looking of depth. at this
0: now i think dreams are mentioned almost exclusively in reference to penelope there's another mention where it says intelligent penelope still sleeping sweetly inside the gates of dreams this is on page 178 so much earlier than when she mentions the gates there's almost no other there's one other mention of dreams in the whole book that i think that is uh, that's not Penelope related. Yeah, and that's when he's in Hades. So the shadows are like dreams.
1: The depth there inside Penelope's psyche is similar to the, you know, the the deep part of the house, the root of the house where the bedroom is.
0: If you lose home, it visits you in your dreams, which in a way, as you pointed out, is the dreamlike quality of Odysseus's adventures. And in a way, the fantastical quality of it, right, is a product of what it is to be homeless. We think about it non-literally. So there's a, there's a dreamlike quality to homelessness. It's like being in um, a shadow world. And of course, everyone in all the poor spirits in Hades.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess the implication is they're homeless as well. But, but anyway, do we have anything else? Any final thoughts?
1: I, I don't think so. That was a great, great discussion. Great ending.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you.